Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, yes, we are on the road today, and we're at a very special place. We've been on a dirt road. We've just been driving from our little spot on Bear Lake over to Montpelier, the home of Linda Iyer and we're Linda Jacobson, I should say. And we're sitting in front of the little house where she was born, bred, and reared. And I don't know how I stood the winters over here for 18 years. Oh my goodness, the, the snow used to be four feet high. We had to dig a tunnel to get out of our our, our house, the road, and it was cold. It was ten below zero a week at a time when we were here. I don't. It was so cold when we were here. Now it's different. Climate change, climate change. Well, you know, I remember the first time I came over to Montpelier to see where you grew up, and it was so cold that the little nostrils inside, the little hairs inside my nostrils were frozen. Oh, that happened to me every single day. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, man, it was really cold. My dad had a little farm just outside of town, and Whoa, going out there early in the morning, milking those cows. I have to admit, I didn't do it myself. We had electric milkers by then. But my mom milked cows in Star Valley, Wyoming, her whole life, three times a day with her siblings, with her nine siblings. Well, I have to say, Linda, when I think of your ravishing beauty and your world-class sophistication, and then I look at this (laughs) little... Little hovel in Montpelier, Idaho. I, I'm thinking you you've come a long way, baby. Oh man, <laughs> what a thing to say! I'm sure the next thing you will say is because of me. Well, yeah, naturally, <laughs> I had some influence over you. <laughs> um, it is really always great to go back to your hometown, though. I love these people. I loved growing up in just such a, a setting like this. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. We rode our bikes everywhere. We never locked our house. You rode your horse. We never locked the cars. I did not ride my horse. I thought you jumped on Foxy from the back like Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, we did, but that was just... Tell tell how you put his his hindquarters in a ditch so you could jump on. I think you just (laughs) did that. We used to have a group of friends we called the gang. We wouldn't dare call them that now, but... Um, we used to go out to the farm and sleep overnight in the haystack and put that horse's hind legs in the ditch and jump on like Hopple on Cassidy. Oh, my gosh, we had so much fun here in this little town. Now, you listeners may be wondering, what in the world are you doing in Montpelier, Idaho today, and, and so on. And the, the fact is, we're here for a funeral. We came up to, to sort of see how our, our Bear Lake place had gotten through the winter, but as luck would have it, it was uh, also today is the day of the funeral of kind of an institution in southern Idaho, I think, Dr. Paul Baines. I don't think it would be too much to call him an institution. Do you oh, have? absolutely not, especially here in Bear Lake. Everyone knows this great man. He had nine kids, uh, lived up on the hill, and honestly, he took care of so many people in this valley and all through this uh, the Bear Lake Valley, not just Montpelier. I read that he delivered over 4,000 babies, and no one was quite sure how many people's lives he'd saved. Yeah, I, he was the one that called me the night my dad died. I was We were living in Salt Lake at the time. Richard was out of town, um, and he was so kind. My dad just died in his sleep one night, and he called me to tell me that, and what a kind, wonderful, generous person. He helped us through a lot of kind of 
rocky times when my parents were sick or whatever. And uh, I, he just helped so many people. I think they're having the um, the funeral in the tabernacle. That's the biggest uh, seating that they could find in Montpelier. And I'll bet it'll be full because he has helped so many people in his life. And, and you know, um, those of you who keep track of what the titles of our, our shows are each week on Ours on the Road, by the way, I'd encourage you to do that. The BYU Radio website is actually a sophisticated, really, really well done website, and uh, you can find any show we've ever done. I think, Linda, it'll someday be a great resource to us. If we want to remember what we were doing a certain week, we'll just go in the archives of BYU Radio. But what I started to say is, those of you who look on that to see what the show is, today's show is called The Blessings of Funerals. And you may say, well, what what does that mean? And isn't that an oxymoron, Blessings of Funerals? Well, a man like this that we're going to be celebrating, celebrating is the right word, funerals become a celebration to a life well-lived. And they also become, this may seem like a stretch to some of you, but they become a learning place where I think a lot of resolutions are made. As you go to a funeral and you listen to what someone did and you hear the personal accounts by their children and so on, one of the things I think it does is strengthen families. I think people go to funerals, especially uh, where you're celebrating a great life, and you see always at a funeral, what always seems to come to the surface is the family orientation of people and the priority of children and of, and of family, and I think that causes us to, those of us who are in attendance, to make resolutions to try to prioritize our family. It's the old saying: you never, you never see anyone on their deathbed who says, "Oh man, I wish I'd spent a little more time with my business, or my profession, or my golf game." Well, what people always say is. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, if people have regrets, it's usually the time they didn't spend with their family. And if they're celebrated, it's usually for the time and the priority they did give to their family. So, uh, you know, Linda and I have been accused of being so oriented to families and parenting that we're like a person with a, uh, you know, a hammer in our hand and everything looks like a nail. But I really do think families are often incredibly family, or excuse me, funerals are often incredibly family-centered affairs. Wouldn't you agree, honey? You know, I've grown to really love funerals. Um, I know when my mom and dad were older, that was their social life. They just went from one funeral to the next because they outlived most of their friends. But I really love funerals because you learn so much. Even if you think you know the person that you're going to, going to the funeral for it, you can't imagine how much you have not known about that person as you learn about them at the funeral. We went, one of my favorite funerals was um, Dr. Chase Peterson, who had become good friends there in our neighborhood. and Former president of the University of Utah, a wonderful medical doctor and a, and a Harvard man who was the dean of admissions at Harvard for many years. And a very wise person. Actually, so it was, the funeral was so fun. At one point, they had the grandchildren up there, and they gave the grandchildren a chance to say five words to describe their grandfather. And there were about eight of them, but it took about two minutes. But boy, did we learn a lot about that man in those two minutes from the, through the eyes of 
his grandchildren. And I am especially, I think what you say is especially germane today to this funeral of Dr. Paul Danes. And this is how the the nexus of your life and my life in our earlier years overlap, because while you were growing up in this little house that we're looking at right now in Montpelier, Idaho, I was growing up in Logan, uh, which is also the place that this doctor, Paul Danes, as a boy, long before he was a doctor, was growing up, and he was in our ward. We went to the same church, came from the Newell and Verna, is it Verna Danes, I think, family, they had 11 children. They lived on the boulevard in Logan, and they were a remarkably intellectual and uh, academic family. They were a family of overachievers. All their boys, I think they had nine boys and two daughters, and all all of their children uh, became either doctors or lawyers. That was their choice, and the, the joke in the Danes family, are you going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Those are your two choices. And many of them went to really good uh, law schools, uh, including Harvard and George Washington, which is where this Dr. Danes went to medical school. And the bottom line, I still remember as a little boy, uh, you know, kind of a, I think I was kind of a little heck from the sticks, but not quite as much as you here in Montpelier. But I remember going over to the Danes' home and, they had a big round table, and, and I went in there, and I thought, my gosh, this is new. There's this whole family sitting around this table discussing politics and world issues and uh, geopolitical events. And I'm like, wow, this is there's a whole other world out there, and these, these Daneses are bringing that world right into their dinner table. And I thought, this is something. This... I remember being being shocked, like, wow, there's a whole other way to think and to live. You know, um, it really is amazing. I, you were talking about this yesterday and saying, you know, Richard's father died when um, his father was 39 and the mother was 38. And so the mother was, our dear grandma was struggling along trying to raise these five children. She didn't children. die, by the way. What you, Melinda means is my dad passed it. 39, and my mom lived on for another, how many years, 60? Yes, a lot of years by herself. But anyway, she was just struggling to try and, you know, make ends meet and get these kids uh, what they needed to just survive. And you were saying that you was around, sitting around the dinner table talking about how much orange juice you can have and <laughs> what the best sale was that week on food. And so, you know, it was a different world. But I just, I can't tell you how impressed I am with Dr. Dane's life. He did a lot of humanitarian service. He went down and did uh, hair lip surgery and all kinds of surgery for people in South America. All there were bullets flying over his head. I mean, it, it was guerrilla country, and he, he just did it. He went yeah. down there and gathered up any friends he could and did it. So we're pretty, we're pretty excited to go to this funeral today, and we're going to take a break here in a minute. And when we come back, we'll talk more about what we can learn and apply in our own families as we attend memorial services like this one. And uh, again, uh, honor to the Danes family, Sam Danes, uh, closer to my age, is a really, has become over the lifetime a really good friend and his, and his wonderful wife, Margaret, who we'll see today. Honey. So let's take a brief break. We'll come back and talk about the interesting connection between families and funerals.
Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. And you know, um, that advertisement just reminded me, Linda, it's not only the BYU Radio website that's really good, it's the BYU Radio app. We better get that on our phones and be able to look up where we were any given week and a year from now, we'll look back at this week and remember we were in front of your house going to a funeral of a wonderful friend and a wonderful family and thinking about the nexus or the connection or the juxtaposition of families and funerals. And I was just saying before the break that, uh, you know, Linda, you knew of this Danes family. You probably knew Paul Danes the best because he was your doctor here in Montpelier. I knew Sam, his younger brother who was at Harvard while we were there and who uh, was in Washington, D.C. while we were there and who married, dare I divulge this, uh, the former Margaret Summers, who was my girlfriend before I ran across you, honey bun. <laughs> so we've got a lot of connections at this funeral. I know that story well, but the connections I have are the fact that he would do home visits. If my dad was sick, he had a heart attack, a pretty serious heart attack when he was 65 years old. And and I remember him coming to our house, being so concerned. And then I have a friend who actually, when he retired, he still did home visits all through Bear Lake Valley. He delivered babies in houses, probably. Huh? I don't know that. But um, but my friend, my dear friend, Eve Dayton, went with him to a lot of his uh, um, house visits and told me some of the wonderful stories that she encountered. I mean... You you just can't imagine the good that one person can do in this world when they put their mind to it. And you know, one of our other best friends is is Dr. Noel Wolf, who's still a doctor here in Montpelier, although he often now spends time on Indian reservations taking care of the health needs of Native Americans. And uh, he kind of picked up the ball in a way. I, I think Paul Danes is one reason Dr. Wolf, we call him Cub, Cub Wolf, ended up in Montpelier, and he still made house calls. He's yeah. made house calls to us out of Bear Lake. He has. He's a dear friend. But, you know, these people are, I mean, there's something about a small town and uh, a place where you've grown up where there's, you know, there are really no stores. There were two or three little nice stores downtown, but, you know, there's just, uh, we were living below poverty level, and I have no idea of it because everybody was. Kind How of would you stuff. know? Because you ate well. You had to. You used to complain that you'd have steak all the time for dinner. Oh, I know. I mean, we lived on a farm. My dad, had, we had steak and bacon. Our our fridge was full of vegetables from the garden, and of course, we did all the canning so that we had fresh. We had fruit, not. You fruit, churned but the butter, right? Oh, my sister and I turned butter from the cows um, while my mother taught piano lessons. Every Saturday morning we were watching cartoons and we just went ahead and turned the butter. But there are just there's so many wonderful memories of an idyllic childhood from living in this beautiful place. Now, if you're a parent out there who's a regular listener and you, you tune in to get parenting tips and marriage tips and so on, this might be a little indirect, but I, I do want to make that connection again. I think that uh, when you get toward the end of life, not saying we're anywhere close, like no, no, no. 20, 30 years, but when you have friends or acquaintances who pass on and you begin thinking about the the sweep of life and the 
the sequence of life and the priorities of life and all the things that are discussed at funerals, it always brings you back to family. It brings you back to uh, how limited our time really is with those we love most, particularly our children. So if you're a young parent listening today, it's not just the sweep of life we're talking about. It's the sweep of the short maybe 18 years you have with a child in your home before that child's off to the to the races, to the mission or to the college or whatever. And your life, and that's the interesting thing about longevity today, I think the average parent now might have 40 or 50 years left of life after a child leaves home. And, and so you've got a lot of time in later years to do things that uh, interest you to continue with your career, to perfect your golf game, whatever it is. But we always need to remind ourselves, and we remind our children of this now, there's a limited amount of time to really prioritize your parenting and to make hay while the sun shines. There's an old Montpelier phrase. you gotta, you got to deal with those kids while they're still living under your roof. You know, I was just talking to my sister yesterday. Um, we have had such amazing lives since we left this little place. I mean, there a lot of things have happened. Her husband died 10 years ago when he was 57. Uh, and one day, diagnosed with um, stage 4 stomach cancer at 9 in the morning and died one, at 1 in the afternoon. So she's had her fair share of really hard times. Everybody has rocky times. You know, we've had kids who've had accidents and things that are so scary. But, you know, when you think about it, I, I remember my dad laying on this couch in this little house where we're sitting by today and looking out the window and saying, where has the time gone? Where has the time gone? Because it goes so fast. He kept saying to me, don't you remember so-and-so and so-and-so? And my mom would say, honey, he died 10 years before she was born. And, you know, the time just seems to go by so fast, especially as you get older. It just goes faster and faster and faster. There's something real about that. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's pretty amazing to look back when you think when you've got little children in diapers, you just think, oh, this will never end. This will never end. I remember being here and thinking it would never end that I was going to school every single day, all during elementary and high school, like, oh, this test today, will this ever end? Will I ever get out of this? And it is amazing how, when you look back how fast that went. Let me tell you another thing that I admire about this Danes family that we're honoring today and that is relevant to this radio show and to our theme of parenting and families. Um, a lot of people think that your, your choice as far as where you're going to grow up or where you're going to raise your children or whatever sort of boils down to a dilemma. Do you do you want the idyllic small town environment that Linda's been talking about? Do you want safe suburbia somewhere, or do you want to live in a city where your children become sophisticated and really learn things? Or what do you want to do? Uh, I'm not saying that particularly well, but what what I admire about this Danes family, and it goes back to as Linda said, when I was a boy and I'd walk into their home on the boulevard in Logan and hear this sort of revealing, eye-opening, consciousness-expanding discussion going on among the whole family, the kids as well, about political and geopolitical and business and investment uh, topics that were far beyond 
what usually was talked about in that little town. And I think the bottom line is, you know, this all this discussion about where's the best place to raise kids, where's the best place to send them to school, where's the best prep school, where's the best college, what it comes down to is none of that matters anywhere near as much as the family itself. So here's this Dane's family growing up in a little town, but engendering and infusing, bringing into the family all kinds of interesting sophistication and broadening and awareness of the world. Um, I've come to believe the old, it's kind of a cliche in our society that we should try to live in the world but not be of the world. And a lot of people think that means stay away from worldliness and so on. I think it's best thought of as two admonitions. Be in the world, period, but don't be of the world. In other words, try to rise above the problems. But think of that first one for a minute. Be in the world. I remember reading a book on John F. Kennedy's upbringing, and there's a lot of mixed mixed uh, opinions on the Kennedy family, but one thing Joseph Kennedy, the father, and Rose Kennedy, the mother, did is the same thing this Dane's family did. Their kids were not allowed to come to the dinner table without having read the New York Times that day and having an article to report on that they felt was interesting. Um, can I just add to that, though? I have read Rose Kennedy's book, and she did mention that they had a nanny who had the young children in the back room feeding them. Well, well that's right. true. That made, <laughs> it, made it a little easier. But you get my point. And so uh, when we think about this Danes family today, one of the lessons for families is you as the parent are the primary factor in terms of how good and how thorough and how penetrating your children's education is. Your education of your children around your dinner table may have a more profound and far-reaching effect on who they are and how they view the world than what they learn in high school and college and every other thing. You know, I was just saying that last week, too, with some friends that we just met in Texas who we went down to give a speech last week and, and to a group called the Entrepreneurs' Organization. And so often when we speak to these people, they have their children in private schools, and they, they have to have the best of everything. And it depends on how good the public schools are, I have to say. But I was telling her, you know, in hindsight, it would have been nice if our oldest child had gone to a private school. She was very bright and socially a little bit awkward. And it would have been nice to have her go to a private school. But, you know, actually, I think all of our kids did just fine going to private schools, but we did really talk a lot about educational things at home. We had um, dinner times where we we taught the other three R's. Remember that? Those were the other things. three R's. That was an interesting phrase, meaning instead of reading, writing, and arithmetic, we felt like what they weren't getting at the schools were relationships, responsibility, and right brain learning, or in other words, the intuitive, creative side of the brain. And we had fun at the dinner table doing games, like the similar game. We would say, okay, what, so what's similar about a turtle and a telephone? And, you know, the older kids would go, no, there's nothing, there's nothing similar about them. And the five-year-old would say, wait, they both start with T. And we'd go, yeah, you're right. And then the seven-year-old, this little droll boy of ours, said, they would both cease to function if they were run over by a truck. I mean, you know, they came up with the most creative, fun ideas. Those were fun times at the dinner table. 
Yeah, we, we're going to devote a whole a whole show, Ayers, on the road one of these times to uh, using your dinner table as a as an institution of learning, because there's so many interesting ways to do that. So we're getting close to being out of time today, but it's been it's been fun to make this connection between funerals and families. And it'll be fun now. The minute we get off the air, we're going to go over to this funeral. We may have more to say about it next week, although we are leaving next week to go to Germany. We hope we can do a radio show from there. We're going to be speaking in Berlin to a group of uh, financial uh, advisors, fund managers, private equity people, and so on. And as you might guess, we're going to be talking not about any of those things, but about how to prioritize your family and your parenting and your marriage. And uh, we'll have some tales to tell when we get back. We'll also stop and visit our son who lives with our daughter-in-law and that beautiful little child, Anina, in Zurich, near Zurich, Switzerland. And uh, life goes on, and we'll continue to be impressed, I'm sure, with how hard Many people are working at making their families their highest priority. But we appreciate these beautiful lives, and if you have a chance this week, go to a funeral. We'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.